Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Stockholm Local is a platform discussing relevant topics to seek understanding and spread cultural consciousness within Sweden and abroad. Welcome to Stockholm Local. I'm your host, Erin Bonnier, and today we have the lovely Daniela Illerbrand here, who is a restaurant biz expert, if I can call you that. Um, a little history on Daniela. She is Swedish. She lived in New York for over 11 years and worked for Marcus Samuelson, um, Evind Hellstrom, my American pronunciation is always horrible, from Bagatelle in Oslo, and then the general manager of Matthias Dahlgren for almost five years, and now also has Develop, which is a really interesting company where she's working on gastronomical projects and development with chefs to develop different concepts within the restaurant business and also pop-up Stockholm where they create events and do different pop-ups in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, starting a podcast with the editor of Gourmet Magazine, coming up soon and blogging for them. So a lot on your plate. So thank you for being here today. Thank you. Um, Welcome. So I guess let's start out by, you're Swedish. You were born in Sweden. Yes. Where in Sweden? I'm born in Uppsala. Uppsala. So it's like the university city of Sweden. My mom uh, went to university there and met my dad. And we stayed there until I was 12. And so what made you get into, I know you started as a sommelier, but what made you get into the food, wine, restaurant industry? I literally went to school in New York for graphic design and all the while I was um, studying, I worked part-time at different bars and wine places and restaurants and started to um, gain like a regular 
following of all these wine guys that would come in and talk wine with me and it was so fascinating and they would teach me everything and I was just learning and had like a wine epiphany one day and I was like wow this is really awesome so instead of going becoming like a fancy graphic designer I did work as a year for um for a year as a graphic designer and then I just decided to quit one day and start studying wine instead so uh-huh. so much more fun and then that led you to work as a wine director with Marcus Samuelson. Yes. Um, and what was that like working in, one, in New York as a Swede, but also then working with this top chef? I think the first years that you are anywhere, you're so excited to be there. Like, you're so excited that you're not in Sweden. You know, you're young, you're traveling, and you're seeing new things. You don't even think about the differences. You're just like, you adapt, you adapt, you adapt so much because yeah. that's what you have to Taking do. Taking it in. Yeah, you take it all in. And then... Um, it takes a while before you realize your differences, but um, I was lucky. I, I got to work with Marcus, who's a lot of Swedes there, made like a pretty smooth transition. I already been in New York for four years before I started working for him. So I had like, I was a little bit more New York savvy than when I first moved there, because you're not, you know, you're yeah, from yeah. Sweden, you're like young and you haven't seen anything. So. I mean, even me as an American moving to New York, I think it takes a little bit. Yeah, it takes a little while to yeah. get used to everything. But, um, and it was my first kind of, you know, really serious job, except for my one year stint after um, college. So you adapt and you, you might think that... Um, things are okay that shouldn't be okay work-wise you know you work long hours and everyone's just like this is the way it is in New York and then you just adapt to that and you just keep going but it was and what did you learn from Marcus I mean I've heard I mean uh, sometimes you hear it like he's quite tough but I think all chefs are quite tough so um I did not see him as particularly tough Mm -hmm. I think um also because he was like an absent boss a lot you know we have other bosses that we would turn to you know, there was a GM that you would need to work with. And, you know, his head chef was Nils Norén, which is just another Swede. That's an amazing, amazing chef. Um, so you're not really super close to Marcus. You mm-hmm. speak with him every day and you do events and you travel. But he's more like, you know, that one really amazing chef that you kind of look up to. And then you have other bosses that you would turn to. Right. So he's a charismatic personality. And then what made you, because after working for Marcus, you moved to Oslo. Mm-hmm. So what made you do the shift back to Scandinavia? Um, I felt that at that time, I think that working in New York was really, really cool. But I've gotten so like deep into things that I wanted to learn that I needed to see something other than New York. Like Europe for restaurant would always be at that point, was much more, um, you know, higher up in the restaurant hierarchy, if I can say that, you know, so it's more... Even in Oslo and, I mean, in Sweden? It's a two-star Michelin restaurant at that point, and Avon Hellström was, like, one of the biggest chefs in in Scandinavia at that time. But restaurants Um, in general, I mean, in New York, it seems like there's a lot more... There was a lot more. I mean, 10 years ago in Sweden, there wasn't as much. There was like just... No, there wasn't then, much. Yeah. So it um, was, I mean, obviously working for like a two-star Michelin chef, but in terms of the industry in general in Scandinavia, it wasn't as No, it took a long time. 
for Sweden to to catch on the whole restaurant scene. Yeah. Um, but I still wanted to go and see something else, and it was a good time for me to leave New York at that time. I would just come out of a long relationship and felt that I needed to learn something else. Um, we worked so much with American wines at Aquavit, and I wanted to go somewhere where the wine cellar I knew was going to be extensive and I could really get to the bottom of things. So it was just a good opportunity, and I went. I fucking hated Oslo. What a shithole town. <laughs> I actually was just there recently, but there's really not that Sorry, much to do. all Norwegians. You're lovely, but <laughs> Oslo, I didn't like it. I mean, I was young. I came from New York. It was, like, so much going on in in New York, and then you come to Oslo, and it's like... Uh, it's wah, a big wah. shock. Although, in, in like Norwegian's defense, I do have Norwegian friends. They love it, but that's because yeah. they're from there. And of they know course. It, so it's and like there's other parts of Norway that are amazing, but I didn't like Oslo. It's I, a shock from New York. That's it was a sure. shock. I loved the people that I worked with. I loved, you know, my boss, and I loved working at the restaurant, and we had so much fun and, you know, amazingly well taken care of. Do you find the Nor- Norwegians to be more open than the Swedes, or is it similar uh, Scandinavian stuff? I think stuff? it's a little similar. Um, we're mixed, mutley crew, though, at the restaurant, so from all places of the world. You know, some was French, some, a lot of them were Swedes, some were Norwegian, but it was a good, um, really good crew. A lot of guys, so when I got to the restaurant, I was, like, so appalled by how rough it was. Like, yeah. I was the only girl for, like, a while. And it was like, people were like, you know, the humor was a little bit more intense than I was used to. But it's almost being like a traitor to the finance <laughs> yeah. or something. Like, but it was, uh, <laughs> it was, we had so, so much fun. But then I went back to visit in my friends in New York, and then Marcus called me and asked for a meeting. Um, so he and, that was when he and Hawk and Swan still had Aquavit together, and they asked me to come, to come back. To New York? Yeah. Okay. So you went back after yeah. Oslo. So I did go back um, and met um, a Swedish guy, and we stayed there, and I kept working for Marcus, and then we eventually moved back to Stockholm. Okay, so then that moved you back. And so for um, Matthias Dahlgren, did you have the job when you moved back? Or you, no, you... we had no jobs at all. And um, what was that like, coming back from New York and like uh, being back in the bubble? Such a shock. And everyone that moves back from New York is so funny because now I can look back at it and be like, yeah, I went through that. Yeah. That face of like utter and total despair when you're like, why did I leave New York? Because as a Swede leaving, I mean, obviously you're young and you're leaving and you're getting all this like stimulus and like inspiration when you leave. And then to come back, I mean, were parts of you happy to be back because it's your home with other parts? I mean, how did you feel I mean, trying to get back into that whole thing? Parts of me were happy because my family was here. Um, it was such a relief, like, you know, the whole like, pensions and all these things it's like going to the doctor going to the dentist like all of a sudden those things were easy which in New York you didn't have good insurance they're not at, at your restaurant <laughs> <laughs> funny uh, just saying if you have a good health insurance plan it's okay yeah no, I don't even know I haven't been an American 10 years so. um no so that I mean all those parts were nice but then it was like we didn't have a an apartment so we had to live in this really small apartment in Leidinge it was like 27 square feet, square meters. Yeah. And I was like, why did we come back for this? And then we eventually bought an apartment and, you know, things were mellowing out. I got the job at with Matthias, which was amazing because that was like something I couldn't imagine. Uh, we and went how in, did that happen? Yeah. We went in for dinner. Um, they had just opened 
and I had friends that worked there and I went in for dinner. I was currently helping uh, Niklas Ekstad to open, before Niklas they called 1900. So me and Adam were helping him open that. I knew I wasn't going to be long term there because I wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Can you say why or no? You just, it was um, just not it was the right just, environment. It wasn't right for me. I mean, mm. I wanted to do something super high end and it wasn't, I was still in, you know, fine dining mode. And But it was, I mean, it was a great interim project, but I knew and I think Nicholas knew too I wasn't going to last. So um, talked to Matthias and he said, do you want to come talk to me on Monday? This was, I think this was like a Friday. You know, just talk. I was like, sure. So, it was like in his office and it was like, you know, we went down in the cellar. It's where the spa is now. Mm-hmm. It was like building things and we just sat there and we talked. I think we talked for like two hours. Just about like New York and what I wanted to do, how I wanted to work and everything. And he's like... We don't have any positions. He's like, I want to hire you, but I, you know, we don't have any positions. Can I get back to you? I'm going to think about things. I was like, sure. And then he actually called me two months later and he said, you know, I think I invented like this position so I can offer you a job. (laughs) I was like, okay. And I just ran out to Nicholas. I was like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to Matthias. (laughs) I mean, clearly moving to New York and having that experience in the NASA was a huge benefit. It was. Because it's not maybe at that time too. What year was this? So this is 2007. Okay, before his Michelin star. Yeah, this yeah. is just when he opened. So there probably weren't that many people, too, coming back from all that experience no. in that business. So, okay. and I think they just got their first start, and then I started working. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so in the beginning, we were just, like, kind of, like, you know, what should we do? Uh, let's do this. We'll do this event space. We'll do the wine cellar. You can run that, and then you can be sommelier part-time so I did like two things and then things started moving around someone quit and then you know the the current restaurant manager didn't work out and then all of a sudden you're GM. Uh, a GM and what is it like working for Michelin star chefs like I imagine I mean from like the like customer side whenever something gets a Michelin star I'm like oh man no you know like now it's not like underground and before everyone's gonna go and like you know when like sushi show got their Michelin star I was like oh you know that was like a special spot so and I'm wondering on the inside I mean obviously it's great that you get a Michelin star but is like the like before do you feel like you're a bit like oh we're doing our thing and it's like you know and then all of a sudden you feel like you have to maintain this is it pressure I mean it's always like that yeah so maintaining a star it's almost more pressure than trying to get a star because if you lose that star you feel like total fucking failure so and the same thing with like reviews and everything so it kind of builds up um for me it was never really about the stars for me it was making sure that matthias was constantly happy and felt that we were doing a good job and you know, making sure he was happy with the team and all that stuff was more important to me than having a star or anything. And at the end, I'll, I jump ahead, but at the end of my my time there, I felt that I was just a, a glorified, um, you know, babysitter to all these journalists that would come and eat and you'd make sure that everyone was happy and I wasn't happy anymore because I lost track about what I wanted to do in the restaurant. Right. 
which is work with my chef, make sure that the food's amazing, the wine's amazing, the staff is amazing, and the customers are happy, um, which is what we started working with. And I was so, so, so connected to Matthias, and I felt like a serious um, soulmate when it came to food in so many ways, in the way that, I mean, he's a genius. And say, like, I mean, what what are some of the things that you love about him and, like, working there? Um, I just... We talked all the time, right? So we talked about everything that would ever happen. And, um, you know, from clothing to everything. And I mean, all those things that I also loved, I also hated at the end. Because when you're micromanaged for that long, it's great for a long time because you're learning so much and you're learning and seeing and you absorb everything. But then there comes a point where that micromanagement just kind of eats away at you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's both. When you're kind of ready then to fly and do your own thing, then it's like, okay, I don't need this anymore. Yeah. So it's it's hard. It's like, you know, and and I think that as an employer, too, it's very difficult to to see, you know, when your employee kind of goes from absorbing to just being like, I can't, you know, I'm shutting down now kind of thing. Um, You've hit your limit. Yeah. But did, so. did you see a difference? I mean, obviously, New York and Stockholm are different in cities, but it was two Swedish chefs, mm-hmm. even though you said you didn't work as closely with Marcus. Was there a different? What was the difference in working in a, a New York restaurant that's comparable to, you know, a Stockholm restaurant? Like, I think philosophy, everything, culture. I mean, in New York, no one really says, um, oh, let's come up with this concept and then we're going to do it, you know, like so full on that people do here and I've observed like you know restaurants that open up it's very conceptual here I don't know if it's the same with fashion or anything else but I feel like in New York it's more like all right we have a great product we're gonna open up we're gonna go and we're gonna make sure that uh we're just gonna we're gonna play this music because we love this music and then we're just gonna have open the doors and guests can come in it's kind of more authentic to them it's just and and it's a more it's a fast pace it's like touch and go all the time, you know? But that's also the New York lifestyle, so that makes for a different mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, shit, didn't work. Let's shut down and we'll open something else. Um, but you can fail a lot more, I think, over there. Um, and it's more, it's common to fail. Yeah. So people don't really think about it. It's like, you know, you pick yourself up and then you start again. Yeah. So it's... A different mentality. It's very different. Um and here you're saying that it's more like this whole concept that they plan and, like, follow and the rules. And it's not as flexible, I guess, is what I'm taking from it's what you're saying. It's not so. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's that's. I think that now it's changing again. I think that um, S- Stockholm and Sweden has been going through, like, these waves of um, gastronomical happenings. You know, everything was French, French, French. Then everything was super fine dining. Um, Michelin stars, you know, the 50 best list was super important. Then it was the gastro uh, bistros. And then I was the simple restaurants with a wood burning oven and vegetables. So I think it's like the trend followers still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, super. Um, so what and then the everyone kind of like, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then it follows that, yeah. that, that pattern. Um, and we're a little bit behind New York or not. I think we actually uh, have surpassed New York in many ways uh, with the restaurant and the food. But when it comes to now 
speeding up things and doing things easier, I think that we're we're closing in on on doing the same thing. I mean, it seems like you're kind of in that forefront of doing this here because, like, I go to some of like the Baltazar cut and paste restaurants. Although Baltazar, I guess, was a cut and paste of French restaurants, yeah. <laughs> but still, you know what I'm saying? Like, the decor looks the same, mm-hmm. the menu, like everything to the name of like. Well, there's one that opened named like Balzac yeah. or something. It's I like, know. I mean, who came up with that name? And now I it just know. sounded like Balzac. <laughs> yeah, <music. laughs> But you walk in, it's like a Baltazar replica. And yeah, I'm like, it's seriously, like, come on. Like, I, I think there's like this soul missing, you know? And yeah. when you were saying, when someone's like, oh, I like this music. Oh, I like, you know, this. We're just going to do it because this is what we like. And we're not like looking at someone else and what they're doing and like cutting and pasting. Mm-hmm. We're doing our own thing, which is... What I found when I met you at Punk Royal, like, I was like, holy shit, like, I have found my place. This is amazing. Um, and this is a, Punk Royal is a restaurant in Stockholm that Daniela opened up. Oh, I actually um, didn't. Or you didn't no, open, but you worked no. on the concept. No, no, they had the concept. I just helped them. Launch it. Set things more in motion. Like, the, the guys at Punk Royal are amazing. They had their idea. And it was pretty much like, we're just going to open a restaurant cook food that we love, play super loud music, allow everyone to come and have cheap prices. Yeah. So that was their idea. Yeah. So I basically just came in and helped them just tweak a few things to make sure that it worked even better than it already did. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, it does. Yeah. It's really cool. And it's very, in a way, like anti-Swedish it's very it's like, anti-Swedish because you go in and it's super loud and they're it's like spoon feeding you or whatever they're doing and you know they're just smoking and like it's just super it's just their own thing and, and it's also really very cool. easy to work in because we decided that we would just do everything together so chefs would serve I would serve I would plate something or you know so we all kind of worked in a in a you know very good um, symbiosis and there's no orders coming into the kitchen we do everything by communicating with each other yeah or actually not communicating we didn't like talk that much but it just works you know so yeah i mean what do you do you think i mean because a lot of people would say oh this couldn't work in sweden because it's so not like following what everyone else is doing but i mean it was packed i mean it was always packed yeah so clearly there is a shift happening yeah i think so too like i said before i think that we've kind of come to this point now where um Going out to restaurants, first and foremost, needs to be fun, right? So it's a social event, and you need to feel welcome. Like, even if I walk into a store and nobody welcomes me, and I don't feel welcome, I walk out. Yeah. No, I hate that here. What? Look up from what you're doing. Like, look me in the eye. Say hi. You don't have to say, hello, how are you today? But you can say hi. Yeah. Just, like, acknowledge your existence. Yes. So true. Mm. I miss that. Um, yeah, no, it's very true. But I, okay, I want to get back. Just I want to backtrack a tiny yeah. bit because I want to talk about the transition from Matthias Dahlgren to your own starting develop and pop up Stockholm. Um, what was that like? What, what, what finally you said you kind of wanted to shift out. You felt like you were ready to kind of spread your wings. But how was it making that decision? I was so difficult. It was my I think it was the most difficult decisions I've ever made, like up there with leaving New York. Like um, I was with Matthias so much that uh, people literally thought that we were like married Um, people thought that we had like a relationship and none of that ever ever happened it wasn't even like close to being true we were just like we worked so much together and we were so integrated in each other's lives that I actually eventually just kind of hit a wall you know the famous Swedish wall Um, I didn't 
like skip out of work and Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. But just inside of me, I was just so, so empty. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, it had taken up so much of my time for such a long, long period. And I literally didn't know what to do with the whole experience anymore. Like, I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know what it would give me anymore. Um, and we talked about this extensively and we would fight. And it was awful. It was, like, terrible. It was the worst time for me. Yeah. Me and Matthias did not get along. He couldn't understand why I was so negative all the time. And I couldn't understand why he was so hard on me. And finally, I was just like, we were sitting, talking, and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I need to quit. And then we came to a point where he was like, what are you going to do? I was like, I don't want to work with another chef in Sweden. There's no one that I'm interested in after you know, mm-hmm. after working with you right now. I don't want to work at a restaurant. I can't do these 16-hour days anymore. Um, I felt old at that time. I was younger than now, but yeah. I, I felt older. Well, your body did because yeah. you were just tired. Yeah, right? I was tired. I didn't have time to exercise, you know, and I was just not happy. So he's like, all right, so why don't you start your own company? You can consult for me for a little bit, you know, and get you started. And that's kind of, even if he was really angry with me, he still helped me transition out of being there. So I think it took about six months until I could actually leave the restaurant. And then I worked with him um, for another eight months, I think. As a consultant with your business. Yeah. And this was Develop that you had started. So he was like my first customer that I would work with. That's great. And then, you know, he would just recommend me to everyone. Good reference to have. Yeah, it was good reference. But it took a long time before we got our relationships back on track. Yeah. Yeah. But the support there, that's still like... Yeah. He's an amazing person. Yeah. I mean... And helps shift you into your next thing. Yeah. But it was hard. It wasn't hard for me to to go out on my own. It was just hard for me to leave. But did you feel like it's hard to leave? But then I remember when we briefly spoke Mm. um, before doing this podcast that you said in Sweden to go off and just like jump and do your own thing. Like that was kind of like shocking in a way. I mean, it was hard because people like like, everyone else was like, why why are you doing this? Yeah. Why are you leaving a good job? You have a great salary. You have a fantastic job and you have, you know, a car and all these things. And I was just like does not mean shit to me right now yeah like what am i gonna do with this if it has no meaning it's whatsoever not you anymore no yeah. it's not and i don't need things like i have nothing literally in my house like i don't even have a tv i don't you know i don't need all those kind of things i just need to wake up in the morning have a really good cup of coffee feel that i'm doing something with my day that it's actually meaningful to me uh look at the water travel and be with my friends like, those things are so important to me. Yeah, yeah. 
side note, what's your, the best coffee in Stockholm for you? <laughs> Just so everyone knows if that's your most important thing out of this. One well, of the most important things, which I get. Um, I go to drop coffee along. Okay. Yeah. I think it's good. And you're where, because you're based where? You're up near the water. I'm Sturesing. Okay. Yeah. And you, because you swim like every day, yeah. right? Which is so nice. It is nice. Connecting with nature. Yeah. Very Swedish. Very Swedish. <laughs> um, all right. So... I guess also I'd like to talk about with develop kind of where you're seeing that going and where you see restaurants in general, the business in general, not just in Sweden, but what's next for the business? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's so funny because now that we started our podcast, someone asked or we had a meeting with these people who are, um, you know, that do trend analysis and I really don't like trends. Like that's like one of the things I always say if someone asks me what's the next trend and mm-hmm. I was just like, I have no fucking idea. I don't like trends. But um which now I'm realizing that it's very ignorant of me to say and um because trends are important and you know and it's very interesting to see how they go and we can look back on the Swedish gastronomy and see very strong trends and things that are happening. But I do think that we're going to see a lot more restaurants coming up that are uh, built with uh, lesser means. You know, people are going to do things on their own. Um, cheaper places, I hope, so that there's uh, more of a middle ground, mm-hmm. which is coming now very strongly. Before, there was, like, very few. In Stockholm, I mean, yeah. it's especially, it's yeah. much harder to find like, I know. cheaper restaurants. But I think that's going to come um, a lot more. And, you know, the younger chefs are working... You know, the people that used to work with me and Matthias and everyone's opening up restaurants that are really good, they're good for their staff. You know, I think it's important that we all worked in a certain environment that wasn't always um, good work-wise or it wasn't sustainable for our bodies, it wasn't sustainable for our health. And in many ways that is changing because we don't want to work that, we don't want our staff to work that way. And I think that's coming nobody yells at their staff really in Mm -hmm. that sense anymore it's not like gordon ramsay or something no and (laughs) i mean i've worked like that yeah you know i've gotten yelled at or you know shoved or and it's it sucks it sucks it's not fun you know, yeah. go cry in a closet. Who wants to do that? <laughs> so you're going to do a more like open, the, the trend can be more like spiritual, enlightened, yeah. like and friendly was, atmosphere of a restaurant. I was super, super hard when I worked at Matias too, you know, because it trickles down, you know, mm-hmm. it's like someone's hard on you, then you're going to be hard on your staff. And, um, but that's also a maturity thing and who you want to be as a leader and you have to allow yourself to grow and change as well. And I would not be the same person to my staff today that I was then. If you hadn't had that experience. No. Yeah. So um, we all try to be a little bit better than what we were taught. I mm-hmm. think that's the, you know, the goal, right? So if someone was, you know, a real asshole to us, we don't want to be a real asshole to anyone else. But we're still going to have a little bit of like, okay, so, you know, a little bit of spine is good and you have to be firm and all these things. But I am, I'm also a much softer person today than I used to be. So yeah, getting old, (laughs) you look great. You don't look old, but wait, so when you're taking on a new client, like a new restaurant, because I think there's something you're working with the punk Royal guys on something new. Um, no, No? um, we're done. They have everything set. Um, 
So when you take a new client, yeah. like what do you, how do you go about it? Like someone, if I want to, if I'm a chef and I want to hire you, mm -hmm. develop, like you come in and you consult and just, what do you do? So, um, for example, I did photography sketch with Paul Svensson. Mm. So Paul called me up. He's like, I talked to Matthias. Matthias thinks that you'd be a good person for me to, to work with on opening up this restaurant. Um, and this was in... April, I think. This is in Photograph Sketch. Yeah. The Photograph Museum, for anyone yeah. that doesn't know, it's amazing, too, in the restaurant. It's yeah. really good. So, I came over, you know, the place is, is gutted, there's nothing there, and me and Paul sit down and talk, and he just talks about his philosophy, and I know Paul from before, not, like, super well, but, of course, I know of him, and we've met a couple of times. And he's an amazing person, he talks about his food, um, and that's like my first point. Like if I don't understand what you're going with your food, I won't be able to work with you. Like you have to have that vision. Yeah, I need to understand. I need to like your food. I need to see that this is a concept because I never try to change anyone's idea. Like you have your idea, you should go with it. Um, if it works for me, we can work together. If I don't see it, I'm not going to take it on because I won't do a good job anyway. Mm -hmm. So then he tells me about his food. He tells me what he wants to be. We look at pictures. I pull up pictures, what I think he's telling me. And and then we just kind of go from there. And organically, things will grow. And he'll be like, okay, so will you do this? And I say, yes, I will do this. What do you want me to do? You know, I want you to take care of staff. I want you to take care of the clothing. I want you to take care of looking at the wines, you know, how the menu is going to look, um, where we're going to place the lamps, you know, all these things. Then I just The logistical side of things and you yeah. take care of all of that. And, you know, all the interviewing of the staff and setting up how we want service to be. And, you know, we created this thing that we would do our own um, juices and beverages. And then, you know, things just, it's like a ball sets in motion. And then, you know, your creative side, takes on and then you discard some ideas and you move forwards with some ideas and then some of the ideas that you move forward with won't work but you have to, it's a process you know it takes like it takes six months to get there and then it takes like another six months to implement it so right right and then with pop-up Stockholm can you explain a little bit of that because I think the past project you did as well was quite interesting with the chefs and food trucks right yeah so um Pop-Up Stockholm actually just happened because I wanted to do something else. And then this restaurant in Paris called me and they said, we want to come to Stockholm. Do you want to help us arrange dinner or two? And I was like, yeah, I love your restaurant. I would love to. And then I had met Elin, my partner, a couple of months earlier through a, uh, a mutual friend. And she wanted to get out of TV and she wanted to work with food. Her husband, Jöran, has a Svartengrens restaurant, mm -hmm. which I love. Good cocktails. Yeah, really good cocktails, amazing food, amazing service. And then um, I called her up and I said, do you want to do this dinner with me? I don't have time to do it all by myself. And she's like, yeah, I would love to. And then our other friend Agnes wanted to help out as well. And I woke up one morning and I was like, maybe, maybe we should just start another company and that's what we'll do. We'll bring chefs here and we'll do pop-ups, but we'll do like... Not a guest chef appearance. We'll take the whole restaurant over, uh, bring them to Sweden. We'll take, like, what do they look like when they work? What kind of clothes do they wear? What kind of music do they play? How do the menus look? And then we recreate the feel of the restaurant. So that's how it came about. So we did the La Marie Celeste, which is a, a French 
restaurant uh, in Paris and that we love, you know. I was there a couple of times visiting them and we found a spot that was similar to the feel of their actual restaurant and then we just decorated like they do. So that's kind of how it started. And then we did a fantastic project with... So we started combining it with pop-ups and then we do larger gastronomical events for companies. So um, we did a really, really cool thing with Diners Club and a um, advertising agency called Diet, uh, where we created a, a food truck that went all over the Scandinavian countries. So they were in Norway, Denmark, Finland and Sweden. And we asked all these amazing Michelin chefs to recreate their version of street food. But it couldn't be tacos. It couldn't be hamburgers. It had to be something. Like, if you were to cook street food, what would it be? So that was so much fun. So we were, like, on a four-week little tour. Uh, me and Elin, she did two weeks and I did two weeks. It was That's great. Cool. So we were just in the food truck for two weeks with these chefs in different countries. And I How'd think, you market it? Um, well, the editing, I think that they did a really good job. So we would do films. Um, and take pictures like every day and then Instagram, Facebook and used all the social media and I think that Dimes Club increased their social media social media presence by like 1500% or something like that. Oh wow. So it was a really really fun campaign to do. Yeah. And just like hanging out with all the chefs. You know, it's great. It was great. A lot of work, but it was so much fun. Yeah. So I think that when Mattia, we did Matthias in Stockholm, he made a stew that his grandmother used to cook and uh sold out in 45 minutes I have never gotten so yelled at by old ladies in my life <laughs> they would come and the food would be out and it would be like my fault personally like I was a terrible person because the food was gone <laughs> it's awful well that's good that there's some conflict in Sweden oh people my are like standing God. up and saying what they feel but that's what people that, that's what people get angry at standing in line and then you said you were supposed to be here till 2 o'clock, between 11.30 and 2. <laughs> we ran out of food. <laughs> that is wrong. I'm sorry, but we ran out of That's food. That's a good problem You have for to you. make more food. <laughs> we win. <laughs> yeah. Um, another topic I really want to quickly cover is mm-hmm. sustainability in the industry. Yeah. Because I see that not only as a trend, but kind of a necessity um, in the restaurant business and food and wine yeah. business. Mate. Like, so I, I want to know your thoughts on that and kind of where you see that implemented um, at the different restaurants you've worked. I mean, sustainability is always going to be a super, super important topic. Um, for me, eating organically is like a number one priority. Like I'd rather spend more money on that than buying new shoes. Um, I I think that as a restaurant too, I think that the whole trend by which started, you know, like five years ago or more in Sweden, or it's been, you know, in other places, using the whole animal for everything, using, you know, not trimming the stems of the broccoli, but actually using everything. I think that's the important thing because for me, Sustainability has now merged into being a question about food waste. Like, how much food do we waste? And I think that's where the um, the next step is in sustainability, food waste. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I was having a discussion with someone that hopefully will be on a podcast soon, and he works um, in, in sustainability in Sweden with the government and different things. And he was saying Sweden is number eight in the world for consumption, mm. which is 
crazy because Swedes like care so much about the environment and everything. But one of the big reasons is like they're such big meat eaters. Yeah. And meat is like 30% carbon footprint apparently. Yeah. So like this consumption thing, it seems to be too. Like the waste is one area of it, but then like you know, consuming so much meat, which takes also because we never learned to eat good meat. So um, I don't eat. I rarely buy meat, and if I buy meat, it's local Swedish meat. But um, it's so rare that I buy a steak or even eat it at a restaurant. And I'm not vegetarian. I eat everything. But um, even my parents, they would be like, "Oh, we can, you know, meat, 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 always meat," and it would be like you know, pork from Germany or Denmark, because it was super cheap, so yeah. it must be really good, right? Yeah. How does those things even That's the one area commute. where I think I you should buy, it. like, the most expensive thing. It's like, you should just find the most expensive meat, to. and you should buy that. You have like, to. You buy the most expensive local. meat, and you buy it maybe once a month. Yeah, like, more moderation. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's part of it, too. But, yeah, this we have to stop buying crap, crap produce. We are the country in the world that spends the least on our produce. Like, we buy probably the most, but we spend the least. Like, in Spain, you know, they spend so much money on food and they buy good stuff. You know, they go to the butcher and a total different idea of where to spend the money. But we rather buy a really, really big TV than buy better meat, yeah. which is kind of sick to and me. there's so much processed food here than the diets as well. So and much. not organic milk. I mean, yeah. I'm like, jeez. <laughs> and we don't want to pay our milk farmers more money. We'd rather buy bottled water. Which is also another which is issue. Which is insane. <laughs> and it's like, now we... Sn- we sn- I mean, we're not going to have any milk farmers because they can't, you know, afford to live. Yeah. No, there's definitely needs to be a shift in the perception of, like, what is healthy and what is, not like, Im- important in everyday diet yeah. here Stop in Sweden. Stop buying cheap eat. meat. Don't buy bottled water because it's ridiculous. And the water's not so bad here in Sweden. It's great. You know, get one of these. Yeah. Sorry. Danielle is holding up a what brand is that? Uh, the a clean canteen, yeah, the hydrofast, like something bottle, yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, yeah, it's totally <sighs> shocking for me in that whole thing, and it's funny because I had a Turkish friend here uh, last weekend, and she was like, "Oh my gosh, there's so many fat people in Sweden." She's like, "I didn't think there were," and I'm like, "Are there?" I started looking around. I'm like, "Wow, I mean, really, and not fat like obese, but like just unhealthy." Yeah, you know, there's a lot of unhealthy people. The eating younger generation. Food. Yeah. The McDonald's generation. It's like I wasn't even allowed to eat McDonald's how, when I was little. How environmentally conscious the people say they are here mm-hmm. and yet they're so disconnected with that when it comes to the food. But that's like the myth of Scandinavia. It's everyone says, Oh, the Scandinavian designs, you know, you go into a Scandinavian house, it's all beautiful and white. Yeah, you wanna come to my grandma's house? Like <laughs> like most grandmothers' houses. Look, it's not Scandinavian designs. Like, you know, a few people that yeah. live that way. It's a few people that eat that way. and Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's not the majority. No. Yeah. No. But a quick question on the organic thing, going to wine, because people say, oh, you shouldn't drink organic wine. There's so many sulfites, blah, blah, blah. What's your take on all this? Um, I think that you should drink, you should, you know, with everything, like... Why should you drink something that you haven't done your research on or that, you know, you don't know anything about? There are organic wines that are great. There are organic wines that are just really crappy wines. That's not going to be good for you. Um, There's natural wines that are amazing. Um, How do you know? Just... You know, talk to people, talk to your wine people system in stores. Yeah, those are great. <laughs> what do you think about system? Belonging? I don't literally 
don't know because I don't buy my wines there anymore. Yeah, because you're one of the lucky ones who's connected. Unfortunately, yeah. we all have to go there by the same rosé that they all sell out. I know. Like, it's kind of sad. For people um, that don't know what System Blog it is, by the way, it's the Swedish government monopoly over alcohol in Sweden. And But there is one good one, actually, that I went to the other day, and I thought that they were very uh, knowledgeable. And it's the new one that's in the pub house by NK, you know, that's downstairs. Okay, yes. So I can recommend that one. I thought that yeah, was Yeah, well, maybe good. we can put that on the website, because after yeah. this, then we're going to have you answer your personal Stockholm oh, question yeah, so we right. can see where Daniela goes in Stockholm and what wine she recommends. Don't stalk me. <laughs> <laughs> no, they won't. Um, and then I guess the final question for you is if you could create, like, your dream restaurant yourself, what would it be? Or if you could choose the chef for it and all of that. But really, what would it be? Well, it's funny you ask this because I just came back from... Uh, New Orleans. Oh, I did like a little tour in New York, Nashville, New Orleans, and I just came back last week and I was gone for three weeks and just met all these amazing people and all these ideas came into my head and um, my ideal restaurant right now would be in New Orleans. It'd probably be very, very small, maybe in like in a bed and breakfast with like a courtyard. Um, lots and lots of music, really amazing food that would stem from the... Uh, the culture in New Orleans but wouldn't necessarily be Cajun or Creole but you know clear where it came from and I would want to do like a project with all these different chefs kind of like based on the whole pop-up idea that people would come and go maybe for two months and cook their food for two months and then someone else would come in and cook their food for two months but with the whole idea that it would stem in the culture of, of New Orleans. And it could be derived from the music, it could be derived from the architecture or the history or the food or whatever, but it needed to be rooted in that thing. Because the magic of New Orleans is so apparent that if you ignore that, it's not going to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That sounds lovely. I love New Orleans. Okay, I so then maybe too. you should do that here. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It would lose Next lose project. Its... <laughs> Authenticity. Yeah. I don't know. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's great to talk to you and have you open up about everything going on mm -hmm. in the restaurant biz and your background. And um, yeah, so uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right. It's Cheers if we Cheers. had a beer. Cheers. Skull. Skull. <laughs> Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.